How we doing, guys? It's Matty Boy, Whitmore, one half of Fit of Food, with the ever so amazingly awesome... Keris. Keris. Keris <laughs> Marsden. Guys, episode number 74, and today we have none other than super mum, Claire Harding. Hello, Claire. Uh, Claire's actually been on an episode of Fit of Food Radio before, some time back. Um, those of you that listen to it know how awesome she is. But Claire's also a Fitter Food mentor. She works with our online groups and she's always there on hand to give kind of like practical tips with like nutrition, meal prep, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know how she fits it all in, but she does, hence the reason why she's a super mum. But Claire, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about um, yourself and, and kind of what you're doing right now and then we'll get into it. So I started with Fitter Food well, it's nearly coming up to three years ago now, I've got um, psoriasis, which is an autoimmune condition. And I could see before Fitafool, things like gluten was starting to show signs when I was taking it out of my diet or making an improvement. It would be time to really look at my diet in more detail and see if I could make more benefits from it. But also looking at it in, in respect of all my family so that it was something that I cooked for everybody rather than it being just an individual thing that I was following. So that's how I started with it, really. Well, I think it's kind of, like, important to say, like, you know, because we've obviously, we've known you for some time now since you, you know, you're working on our plants and your psoriasis has improved so much, you know, yeah, through the changes that you've difference. made. It's, it's phenomenal. I think what we've always found impressive was that, I mean, because I always used to say to you, didn't I, when you used to tell me all the things that you couldn't eat because you'd have a flare-up, and I was thinking, oh, my Lord, like, I, I couldn't do it. I really couldn't. I don't know how she does it. And you always used to be so happy and chilled about it. And I, I always found that in itself, like, so impressive. Um, I mean, do you want to give us a bit of an idea of the kind of things that you you can't eat, that you've had to be a little bit creative with, like with your meals, because you can't include certain ingredients? To explain perhaps a little bit more, initially with just following fitter food as it was, that was just moving on to just having nutrient-dense foods, taking out gluten. I dabbled a little bit with the dairy, but it wasn't until I got quite a firm foundation for all the family with that before I went on then to do the autoimmune protocols. And that's taking things just a step further, whereby you take out specific food groups that are known to, to be aggravators, really. So that's, in addition to gluten, that's dairy, nuts, Food from the nightshade family as well, so like potatoes and tomatoes. But I didn't actually start following that bit until probably about 12 months in. I would say maybe even 18 months in, actually. I was, I think, 12 months just following straight fitter food, and I was still on my medication for my psoriasis then. My psoriasis, when it when it's at its worst, I've got gutted psoriasis, so I would be absolutely pickled from head to toe, tiny, yeah. tiny little dots, so not like the big plaques that you could put cream on. These are tiny little dots that you just, the only thing you could have then, I was on methotrexate. So I did a, a year of straight fitter food, took six months coming off my methotrexate, still following fitter food, and it was only then, 18 months on, that I started with the autoimmune protocol. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? I know a lot of people really struggle with the autoimmune version of, I suppose it's just the autoimmune version of paleo. Yeah. Um, what was kind of, um, like Matt said, so what kind of things did you come up with to get around? Because I know tomatoes is, is in a lot of food recipes. Yeah, that's why it took so long before I did it, because it's, it's certainly not for the faint-hearted. You know, tomatoes and potatoes. Yeah. Like, 
I'm out here in Ibiza now and tomatoes and potatoes are served with every single meal it seems and, and back home the same isn't it yeah. so for me I took out tomato potatoes that was quite easy actually potatoes wasn't too bad because you just swap in sweet potatoes plantain or rice I still eat rice yeah but tomatoes it took me a while well, to, to be honest I would say initially I didn't think that you take them out of your diet and you hope and cross your fingers and your toes and you think to yourself well I'm taking them out but then in a month or two months when you start putting them back in, I think in my heart of hearts, I hoped that I would be fine with them. So I didn't really initially look for alternatives. I just thought, well, I'll just take them out and we'll cross that bridge then after. Yeah. And I tried putting tomatoes back in and it just just wasn't happening. So oh. I thought I didn't miss things like bolognese. Um, and I, more than anything, you miss colour in your food because it's... Without red in your food, you don't realise how plain things look. Yeah. You know, you've got a lot of greens in there, but red, I think you can't have things like peppers. I was going to say, peppers are gone as well, yeah, so that would be... Peppers are gone, so, you know, reds and yellows are gone from your food, so then you just have to start then thinking outside the box. So I made a recipe, I looked at different sort of versions of ways of doing alternatives to tomatoes, and there's ways you can do ones with um, beetroot. Use beetroot and apple cider vinegar. It is a bit of a fat. I make a big batch of it and I keep that in the freezer then. So if I do actually fancy something like a bolognese. So that's, um, that's your no mato sauce, yeah? Yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. Love I it, I love it. But, but generally, to be honest, I've learned, because it is a bit of a faff with that one, I've learned to sort of live without it, really. Um, potatoes, again, I said that wasn't too hard. But things like, you have to be a bit more inventive with your spices because you can't have chilies cayenne pepper, lots of the, uh, the seeds. So you can have, for example, coriander leaves, but not coriander seeds. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, and um, but how would you say your flare-ups are now in comparison? So say you did have tomatoes now and you say it's like it's a no-go. You know, yeah. now that you are, you know, you're healthier, you've got a healthier foundation, like your gut health probably no doubt a darn sight better than what it once was. Are your are your flare-ups kind of as extreme as they were or a bit more controlled? But it's interesting how it's changed, actually. Perhaps Keris will have a bit more knowledge on this, really. Because, because I've done a gut protocol as well, I think I've improved the lining of my gut. Now, I don't know if this has a consequence because if I have some... So if I have potatoes... I'll come out in my boils on my skin. Wow. If I have gluten and tomatoes, well, actually, no, if I have gluten, that goes straight to my joints. I get really bad aching joints. Wow. I'm a sportsmaster, so I notice that in my hands where, you know, I use my hands a lot. So I get aches in my wrists and my, my knuckles. Um, and if I have tomatoes, my skin gets, I've still got tiny little patches just on my side of my trunk. They come and go. But my skin will get very, very hot. And again, my joints will get very, very painful. But it's not so much, it used to be that it would go straight to my stomach and I'd be on the loo and I'd feel, you know, those roughest dogs. But it doesn't seem to happen in that way now. So I don't know whether that's, do you think it's because my gut's lining is improved? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I suppose just to give a little bit of background detail. So with what you have, Claire, is an autoimmune condition that tends to be associated with kind of called increased uh, gut permeability or also known as leaky gut so i know you've been working really hard doing the bone broth um collagen and you do um all the fermented foods and water kefir you're religious with all of that uh, with the view that if you can repair the lining of the gut 
uh, we can kind of calm down the immune system and the response to foods. But the other thing with an autoimmune condition is often there can be more than one present or the body's already kind of started a second autoimmune response, which might be to your kind of uh, joints possibly. Um, so it might be that you've got antibodies already to joints because of having that kind of initial leaky gut going on um so what you might find is is kind of as the gut's sealing and healing and you're building up beneficial bacteria the immune system calms down a little bit um but if you get a bit stressed or there's kind of changes with travel or anything that would normally affect the immune system like an infection uh, yeah. you might find just different reactions to foods uh, but what you would want to do, and you've seen this, is is kind of in the background, you still feel like you're moving forward. And I know you've done before and afters of your skin, your trunk especially, and it's just been phenomenal, the difference. Um, like you said, kind of going from covered head to toe to now you have flare-ups. And I know you've also mentioned, I mean, do you think things like stress, do you notice kind of situations as well as food? So say you're now on holiday, can you get away with a little bit more? I don't think I can, no. Well, no. Because that was the only carb that they've got, so I've just had a few little potatoes, yeah. And the reaction from it, no, my skin has been fine. But stress, yeah, stress does affect it, but certainly not to the extent it, it ever has in the past. It would only take a tiny little bit, you know, you have your everyday stress, don't you? But it would take one big event, and then I would be covered again, yeah. And that hasn't happened this year, so that's yeah, that's a definite positive. And do you feel better in the sun as well? Because vitamin D is so strongly implicated with a lot yeah. of autoimmune conditions. So do you... yeah, yeah, sunshine has always been really, really good for my skin. Yeah, Getting, yeah, definitely. And are, do, do you wear any sun protection or are you just kind of... I do wear sun protection, yeah. 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 Otherwise, you just end up all wrinkly. And you've, got be, you've still got to be careful. Because I've had um, UVB treatment in the past and I've had PUVA treatment in the past. And you, when you have, I, I don't know if you know much about it, but when you have UVB treatment... Basically, you're only in there for seconds because of the actual power of it. And yeah. it makes you think, well, and you're on borrowed time. Again, this is why I went, because you're only allowed a certain number of those over a lifetime. So you, wow. whilst you know that the sun is really good for your skin, you do have that respect for it in the sense that, you know, you have to be a little bit careful as well, really. Yeah, I try to be a bit more, because uh, I don't wear any sun protection, don't kind of stand the bloody stuff, whereas I used to be a typical... Well, I occasionally am a typical Englishman still and yeah. underestimate the power of the sun and get really burnt. Whereas now when we're abroad, I just try and do it in, in, in smaller waves, don't I? Yeah, and then wear some sunblock after that. A little yeah. Bit. Well, no, you normally nag me to, and then I still ignore you. <laughs> <laughs> typical bloke. I think- yeah, about 15, 20 minutes um, without protection to allow your skin to kind of produce uh, melanin and, and, and actually build up a natural tan. And then after that, and it's funny because loads of people keep asking us about natural suntan cream. And the only thing is, I don't know if you've tried any, Claire, but they're not the um, easiest thing <laughs> to, to I, use. Um, I tried that, um, the aloe pura one, but it's just like glue. It's like <laughs> So at least they're protecting you because you've got like wallpaper paste all over your face. Um, Industrial strength, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. But um, one thing that we wanted to chat to you about today as well was um, what you do with the family because it was a great point that you mentioned earlier where lots of people start a kind of healthy eating program. A lot of women do in our experience. 
but they don't kind of think about whether you know the kids or the other half or um, the rest of the family are going to get on board with it. Maybe because they've gone into it for kind of weight loss reasons, and they're the only person that needs to lose weight. And our argument has always been that fitter food is so important for the whole family because it's just about nutrient dense foods. Um, how did you start to kind of do that with with your little bunch? What did you do first when you wanted to kind of change some of their their key meals? We started with the evening meal because that was a meal that we all ate together and it just seemed an easier one to begin with. Um, and then from there, we went into changing breakfasts, really, um, by taking things out. I, breakfast is a hard one because it's a, it's a meal of the day that you really want everybody to just get on with themselves because it's busy. Yeah. Uh, so that involved just taking a cereal out of the cupboard and not replacing it, and then just not replacing it with the same, you know, replacing it with a fit food version, yeah. or just, just going completely, and then doing a hot hot meal as well. But actually, that it wasn't too bad. And then last of all, then I did lunches, packed lunches. That was easier by leaving that last, because you can use foods that you know that they'll eat in an evening yeah. meal. They'll have it at breakfast that you could use then in the lunches, and that seemed to work quite well for me, really. But with the autoimmune, again, I was in this, you're in a quandary then, aren't you? You know, you've spent all this time introducing new foods. I didn't, well, that's why I delayed doing the autoimmune protocol, because I thought I don't actually want the children seeing me then taking really big food groups out. Yeah. Because you want them to, you know, to recognise that we're eating well. And then you're, you're giving a mixed message in a sense that you're suddenly saying, well, actually, we're, really, we're eating really well, but I'm going to take all these off the menu. Yeah, yeah. So, so I did, that's part of the reason why I delayed it. But now i say we don't do as it's funny isn't it because i don't eat tomatoes now we don't have as many tomatoey meals and they've, they've not really missed it to be honest They're, they've eaten the, the no tomato sauce so they eat that as if it is tomato sauce they don't know any different so things like they still have potatoes so when they have potatoes i'll just chop up the sweet potato and put it alongside so that it's no it's no real hardship in a sense and they know you know they've seen me on my my skin has been really, really bad. So they appreciate that there's certain things that I don't eat. And I think we've all gained, you know, a better understanding by just going at a steady pace with it. Because how, how old are your kids, Claire? Um, they're 14, 13, 11, and nearly 10. How would you say in terms of, you know, when you were introducing uh, these, you know, this kind of like new way of eating, different types of meals, etc. would you say that... The, were they all quite uh, similar in their response, or would you say that it was some of them were a bit harder to convince than others? It's been different for different meals. It's funny. Like initially, the evening meal one. My one daughter, I think I said in the in the last podcast, she was a real big pasta lover. She was like, "Well, why are we changing our food? You know, I like <laughs> that we've got." But interestingly, she's been the one that's been brilliant. Things like mixing up liver into burgers. And oh wow! She, yeah, and she's she's a bit of a and she's a bit of a feisty one, my second daughter. So she like she would try things, whereas the other one, the others might not. She she likes to be in first. So she thought, yeah, I'm gonna go with that, whichever it is. You know, something something new. Lunches again. She and she's the one. Yeah, on a lunch for a packed lunch, she she doesn't care what she takes in, whether it's something hot or something completely different to the norm. Whereas my eldest daughter likes to just sort of stick to the norm she doesn't want to be seen as being anything different with her packages and similarly with my youngest son he's had a bit of a not a problem but children remark about what's in his packed lunch you know yeah 
Yeah. That's the hard thing, isn't it? You know, there's there's that element of kind of uh, like pressure at school, if you like, not to have like cool foods in your in your lunchbox, and if you're not eating crisps and chocolate, you know, you're not down with the cool kids. Yeah, it's hard. It's it funny hard. though because I always used to, I used to have, a, I used to take a, a salad and like sandwiches with me to school uh, that my mum made for me, and the salad was always my choice. I used to love just kind of like chomping on like peppers and cucumbers and carrots and and things like that. And you know, everyone used to think I was weird, but you know, I genuinely enjoyed it. And, and I suppose you know, subconsciously, I knew it was good for me. But yeah, I used to, I used to get the remarks as well. You know. <laughs> What, what do you do, Claire, to, to overcome that with them? Is there, like, kind of any tips and tricks that you have? Well, for, my, for the youngest one, for the boys in primary school, often I would say that the comments that people make, I sort of say to them, it's probably because of the, the person's insecurity about their own pack lunch. There's very <laughs> much pride in primary schools now, isn't it, for healthy, healthy pack lunches and schools are given, like, a healthy school status. So you get letters at home saying, you know, you must send in a healthy pack lunch. And I think children are quite aware of what isn't a healthy food and what is. Yeah. Much more than I think in my day, you know. So I sort of try to explain to them, well, if somebody's making a remark, you know it's healthy. And it might be that they're thinking, well, why can't I have the same healthy one? And it that seems to have worked so far anyway. They're quite happy with that. Thinking, well, yeah. And, they, and I give them a strap line so that they can say, well, you know, this is, I, I eat this lunch because I know it's good for me. <clears throat> Excuse me. I know it's good for me. And I know it's going to help me with my football or I know it's going to help me with my CrossFit, you know, awesome. and it, it's, it's going to be healthy. So they've got an answer to give because I think yeah. they're London, don't they? They're not quite sure what they're supposed to say. Yeah, yeah. And you've got them into CrossFit then, even? Yeah, yeah the girls and the boys do CrossFit. And interestingly, for the girls in high school, now they're in high school, their friends say to them, oh, you always have really lovely, healthy packed lunches. It's not seen as a criticism, for them, it's their friends sort of say it in the way that, oh, God, I wish I was having that. Do you know what I mean? Oh, wow. That's brilliant. I love that. Yeah. yeah. I think the hard thing is, though, is that, like, and this goes across the board, really, I think, for, for adults and kids, is that, and we often see this with, with parents who are quite judgmental of other people and the foods that they feed their children. You know what I mean? So... You know, for example, like we've got friends that are kind of like very health conscious, enjoy eating healthy foods most of the time. And uh, obviously, naturally, with their kids, they want to put that message across to their children as well. And they want their children eating the foods that they believe to be good for them and support a healthy lifestyle. Whereas, of course, you know, we we found that other parents that, you know, don't get me wrong, that they're, they're not as knowledgeable in that sense. So you can't blame them. But we often find they're very they're very judging of those parents and what they're doing to their kids. And they almost see it as a bad thing. Oh, you know, why aren't you letting them take crisps to school? You know, let them have a chocolate bar from the tuck shop or whatever it may be. And and I'm sure those kids do have those things, just not every single day. Yeah, like, yeah. I think there's kind of a, a bit of a nervousness now about getting kids into dieting and, and being um, too healthy, and that, yeah. you know, kind of encouraging because a lot of kids, and I'm sure you're aware of this, Claire, in their teens will go through kind of body insecurities mm-hmm. and a tendency towards some form of disordered eating. So I think there's a bit more awareness now with social media, especially kind of probably driving those behaviors that that we've just got to yeah. be a bit more careful about how we talk about foods being good and bad and um, kind of 
you know, how do you get kids to have the right balance without kind of teaching them that, oh, you shouldn't have that, you should have this, you know. But I think that's the key, and that's kind of like what I was getting at, was that, you know, with kids, it's like... <laughs> in a lot of words. <laughs> it's in a lot of words. Um, like with kids, it's, you know, the message isn't fat loss, the message isn't weight loss, the message is kind of like... Fuel. You know, I've always thought like with boys, for example, you know, for me, like having my granddad as kind of like the father figure in my life, you know, he's a big guy... You know, he was always like on about being big and strong and playing sport and being fit and healthy. So I always wanted to eat what he ate. And it was always, you know, meat, vegetables, potatoes, liver, etc. He loved ice cream as well. So that's probably where I got that from. <laughs> um, but it's always, you know, like, oh, this this will fuel you for for football this will make sure that you can run further than the other kids and so rather than it being about aesthetics or how you look it was all about growing up big and strong and running and sprinting and things like that and and I mean I know that's kind of like that would appeal to a boy but with a girl you know if you're like you're gonna grow up big strong and run fast it it wouldn't appeal as much no I was gonna say what what, what I was gonna say is what's amazing is you've got them all into some form of physical activity which I think for kids is a catalyst for them to address their nutrition because they want to be good at something yeah it's a sport that they know they they need to fuel themselves to be strong so they see their bodies as strong rather than it being an aesthetic thing you know yeah yeah which I think is so much better for them really and they know like the girls if they come home and they've not eaten a proper lunch at school, and then they're going out training, they know when they've gone out on a on a session and done a CrossFit session without eating properly, they're blooming rubbish. Yeah. But, <laughs> so they, you know, they know for themselves that they've got to eat properly. So they're actually sort of seeing their food as a fuel rather than it being, or, you know, with people, because they want to eat cake and all that, they're just, yeah, it's so far the other extreme, hopefully. Yeah, much more positive. And what, what would be... Um, what would be typical kind of uh, pat lunches then that you would um, give them? It tends to be. It's not. It's not all singing and dancing, Carissa. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure mums out there are relieved. They just are like, "What is it? How do you do it?" Because you've got four oh, kids, so. Yeah. No, it's not. My pat lunches, I must say, are the most basic ever because I think they have their. I know what they're eating at breakfast time, and I know what they're eating at um, an evening meal. So their lunches are just an easy one for me to do. Something has to give, you know, in a whole day. Yeah. You look at it as a bigger picture. So they would generally, it would be either um, like a rice dish that I'll put in a glass and I'll add to that whatever I've got in the house, whether it's like chopped up olives, veg, peppers, bears, um, any sort of meat like sausages or whatever I've got going, but fish, a bit iffy with fish because it's smelly. So yeah. I tend to yeah. do some easy meats, really, that will go with it. And then if it's not that, then it would be, you'll always have a bit of salad in there. I make tray bakes um, some flapjacks, beautiful flapjacks, or anything else. But I don't tend to make a lot of cakes now. We did it right at the beginning. There was lots of sort of trying out different cakes, but we all came to the conclusion that they were quite hard to make. The ones that were really lovely, we eat within, you know, half a day of making Half an hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and the others that they didn't like. So we don't really, they, we've moved away. It's quite interesting. We've moved away from wanting a pudding after a meal, really. Yeah. They don't, they don't really ask anymore. So it tends to be just like flapjacks. Um, and then salad, chopped up meats, some, a breakfast wrap or a, a goat, you know, one of those, what, like a gluten-free wrap, you know, depending on what I've got in, really. Sometimes they'll take rice cakes with it. 
So it's not a big meal. They don't, tend, they don't tend to have a lot. But again, they're only in schools, what, between nine and three. My boys finish at three o'clock. My girls finish at half past three. As soon as they come in from school, then there's stuff there that they can eat. I've always got rice in the fridge that they could just go in and help themselves. So it's really something to just keep them ticking over in the day rather than me trying to pull my hair out and yeah. give a big swanky meal that, you know, they might eat, they might not eat, and that's completely not related to whether they like it or not. I came to the conclusion. I did try, you know, I did try doing all the nice fancy packed lunches. You yeah. know, in my dreams, I'd be that lady, what's her name? Um, Michelle. From Nom Nom Pally, and she does lovely pack lunches. And I wish I could send those to school every day. But <laughs> in reality, you know, it's it's something that it just keeps the ticking over. So then they can just help themselves when they come back home. Well, you made a great point about um, having that kind of quick turnaround time with food, especially if they're coming in and going out to CrossFit or to a club. So to a club, as in like a <laughs> like a football club, going raving, yeah, <laughs> going dancing, really dancing. So, uh, what again, is that just a case of kind of batch cooking foods? How do you kind of prep for that? It's just, so, I always have rice. Yeah. And there's generally some sort of bits and bobs of meats in the fridge. If whether it's, I tend to do a big roast. It's a big saver for me to do like a big roast on a weekend. And then that meat then will do another two days of some form later on in the week. So, there'll be always cold meats that they can have. So, they'll just go in and help themselves with some rice. They'll have some meat or those rice noodles. You can just add that. I've always got um, a Neapolitan sauce that's in the, the fridge. That's a tip from you. That was Karis, actually. Thank you. Or your mum, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So my mum and dad always do that. Uh, it's brilliant. Neapolitan sauce. I've got um, roast vegetables or any cold vegetables, again, that are left over. Sometimes I just... If I'm cooking something, I tend to just think what else I can cook at the same time. Because yeah. if you're as well. So I've got all those bits and bobs in the fridge. So it's just a case of either they come in and help themselves or... I'll say, right, I'll just quickly put something together. It only takes five minutes anyway, doesn't it? Put the rice noodles, only take a few minutes, which is in hot water. Or if you've got rice, then warm up a bit of sauce, add whatever meat you've got, and away they go, really. Awesome. So would you say they've kind of developed more savoury, like a savoury kind of tendency to, for a savoury tooth or whatever you want? Do you call it savoury tooth? Savoury tooth. <laughs> savoury tooth tiger. <laughs> Savory taste in food, then. Sorry. <laughs> well, I've got a, quite a savory tooth, me. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, we've always got a fruit bowl. There's a fruit bowl full, frozen fruits as well. But yeah, they probably would go. They don't really like eggy things. I've tried that. I wish they would, because that would be a really easy one, because you could do all those little breakfast cups and all the rest of it and keep those in the fridge. Or Spanish tortilla, which they could, everybody could just go and help themselves. But they're not big fans on the eggy things. So it does tend to be sort of meaty. Or just, I'll say, rice. They're quite happy with just a bit of rice and a bit of um, tamari and they're chucking a bit of chopped veg and the way they go, really. So what would you say then? Because obviously you're doing an awesome job, Claire, you know, like like help, like educating them, getting involved with the cooking. Because I've seen when you've put up videos and photos in the group of like uh, the kids getting involved as well, which is amazing. Um, and I've always said this, you know, I think like with parents, you know, it's always hard because for me, or us, should I say, we always get the classic, like, well, you haven't got kids, so you can't say a thing. Um, which is true. Which is true. <laughs> which is true. Um, however, you know, we've got good old Claire on our side who's got four kids, so we're, like, in your face. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, of course, and I've always said, like, I think, you know, even me as a kid, like, I got my love of cooking through my mum and my nan because they would always 
they'd ask me to help out and I'd just get right into it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, helping prepare, prepare the food. And I always used to find it quite rewarding as a kid, you know, they'd try and give me credit, you know, for how well the burgers turn out or how well the roast dinner work, worked out because I helped. And it was all a bit like, oh, yeah, you know, I helped and I made it taste amazing. But how, how do the kids do where, let's say you've gone out for a meal, like yeah. at the weekend, and I'm and I'm assuming you're kind of like let them have whatever they want. You know, how has their choices changed? If you know what I mean, when they're kind of left to their own devices, and you've gone out for dinner. Interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah, they have changed actually. They would still, if you gave them, they used some money to buy something. They probably still would buy sweets. Go out for a meal. I would say some of them would choose. We don't go out for a meal a lot, actually, to be honest, Matt, because it's expensive going out for food. Yeah, <laughs> I know, don't I know it? But they'll go to places like Wagamama's. Yeah, they like Wagamama's because nice. it's all cooked in front of them. And again, I, I suppose I direct it in a way because there's only certain places that I can go and have. Yeah, that's true. Because my choices are limited. So we tend to do like Nando's. They'll go for Nando's. Some of them will have, like my, again, number two, the one who was the biggest resistor. She will go for rice. You know, you can get like the spicy rice, is it, whatever, in Nando's. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to going for a burger and chips, she'd have rice and she'd have the chicken. I should say this quietly because they, they still have the children's meal. If they're too old for the children's meal, <laughs> 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 you're all having children, but they just say you're under whatever the age is. <laughs> um, I'm sure yeah, the MD of uh, Nando's isn't listening to it. <laughs> um, they all they all say about the fact that you don't get a lot of veg for children's meals. It's really appalling. Yeah. That, Compared to an adult meal, where you, you know that you get like a selection of veg on the side for children's meals, sometimes you don't even get any, which is just so bad. And mine will say, "Can we have some veg with it? Or can we have some salad to go with it?" Oh, good on them. But you know, I've always said we've haven't I? When we've gone for a meal, I've always said like the, the meals, like the main meals, that are always lacking in veg. Yeah, and good. it's just bizarre. You know, like you, you'd think that you know there'd be. You know, it's certainly not a balanced meal unless, of and course, you order a ton of side veg. It's cheap food, so I don't understand it. You know, why it, it can be really cheap food to add a bit of veg to it. Yeah. You know, as, in the, as in for the food industry, it's cheaper than the meat and the generally the kind of the sauces and things. Yeah. So, but yeah. Yeah. But they, yeah, so they, again, like in Wagamama's, instead of having the normal noodles and the chicken in breadcrumbs, they're, they've tried things like, you know, you can get them, I never know what they're all called, but they're in like a broth because they, they've had yeah. that. So they'd have that with a big ladle, you know, to, to eat it. I know so what you mean, yeah. They moved over to those. Not all of them, but some of them have moved over to that. So they do choose different things. Yeah, that is true. And actually, we've gone to places because they don't, I say to them, oh, don't have all the blooming bread kind of stuff because everything on a children's menu is quite shocking, actually. It tends to be on a normal sort of British fair. It's all, everything is in breadcrumbs. So if you were to say, I've got children here and we don't eat gluten, they are really often quite stumped as to what on earth they could have on a children's menu. Yeah. Because if, if it's not things in breadcrumbs, it's pasta meals. And this is not, That's I think more and more they're going to be asked to cater for that with kind of gluten allergies on the rise. So I yeah. imagine they're going to have to start coming up with all I'd say places are getting better though. Yeah, but it's like Claire said, if you pick the right places yeah. where they're kind of, prepping food from fresh then it's they can be a bit more 
creative but I know when I had um I can't remember one of the chain pubs that I went to when I had really bad IBS and I just said could I have like gluten and dairy free and they said no because everything is pre-made and then reheated on the premise so we can't adapt any recipe for you that was yeah. like a few years ago now, but yeah, we I mean, we have, we've had that occasion, haven't we? Yeah. They're like, oh no, it's already made, and yeah. you'll be like, okay, well, we'll be leaving then. Yeah, <laughs> I've only been to one restaurant where they said we'll give you a half portion of an adult. You know, this was a chain. This wasn't an independent place. A chain where I said, look, you know, we all eat gluten free, and there's nothing in the children's menu that has. It's not got gluten in, and they said, okay, we'll we'll give you um, an adult's menu like a half portion of an adult's menu. So I don't know how they did it, because I'm guessing it's all, as you say, pre-made anyway. There's just, I don't know, they just put it in the microwave, probably don't know a lot of the stuff. Yeah. But they, and they, they gave them half an adult's meal, and they only charged them for the um, children's price. But that's oh. it's only once that's ever happened. Oh, wow. And what about when you go, um, when the kids go off kind of with friends or members of the family, do you kind of ask them to follow similar guidelines to what you're 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 sort of trying to achieve with them or are you just a bit more laid back and say well it's not a regular occasion so it's fine yes if it's just a one-off i don't you know i don't say anything my girls have started to say for themselves and thomasina when she's gone out with her friends actually she's when they've gone to mcdonald's she's made the choice of getting something else and taking it into mcdonald's and eating it there oh really wow yeah and my other daughter, when she's gone to a friend, she told a friend that she doesn't gluten, and bless her, and mum is as good as gold. She's made things with gluten-free flour for them and made sure that the meals there have got gluten. But, you know, I say to them, oh, the boys and gluten, don't, if they go to a party, things like that, don't stress about it. It doesn't really matter. Um, they go to their dad's, my team husband is this, so they go to their dad's once a fortnight and stay there um, one night, and they have been having a lot more gluten was they've been here and coming back with a bad stomach. And I, mm-hmm. so I said, you know, they're not used to having, you know, consecutive days then or every single meal for consecutive days with gluten in. So to try yeah. and think slightly differently because it's, it's not fair, it's all the time. But I think for other patients, you know, you, you can't be the food police. I mean, actually, you don't want them to have to, you don't want to have to put them to be in a position where they feel awkward. But yeah. also, I don't think you can realistically get them where they're not going to have any of those things because like, yeah, isn't, like you know and, yeah, and to be fair though I mean I, the same goes for adults for me like I think like you know and I think where a lot of people go wrong we were having this conversation just earlier was people try to be too extreme with themselves like I can I can never have gluten again I can never have processed foods ever again to get the best results but of course the reality is they will <laughs> multiple yep. times and they'll keep feeling guilty about it and then starting again, so to speak. And it's like, well, actually, unless you have got, you know, like yourself, like an autoimmune condition or you are celiac or whatever, then actually, you know, a bit of gluten here and there isn't going to do you any harm, you know, and, and, and the odd treat. And I think it's, you know, with, with children especially, you know, it's probably even more likely to happen, um, you know, like with kids' parties and their activities, et cetera. And like you, I think if you can help them, like, identify with it, that it's not about a diet or anything like that, then I think, you know, that's, that's, half, the, that's half the battle won, I think. Because yeah. if you can get them identifying themselves that they feel better for it, which I'm assuming, like, by the sounds of it, they, they have done. They have actually identified that they actually feel better 
for yeah. eating this way. Yeah. Like the girls, and I, again, I don't tend to sort of say, you have to be, again, quite careful, I think. When they've said, oh, I've had too much, my one daughter gets a reaction with her skin if she has too much dairy. Yeah, she's a teenager, bless her, you know? Yeah. So you get a bit spotty. And I, you don't want to say, oh, well, don't, don't be drinking so much milk. You just sort of say it in a nicer way, right? Well, there's almond milk in the fridge, or, you know, why don't you have a bit more kefir? Help yourself, you know, this is there. Yeah. It's just about adding, and I was trying to sort of think of it as adding things in rather than taking things away with the children, because yeah. I think that's a more positive way of looking at it, really. Oh, rather than, well, you're never going to have that again, you know, what's the point? Or don't have that, that's clearly not doing you any favours. It's more a case of like, well, let's see what, how we can, you know, make your body feel a little bit better just by adding a few other things in, you know? Joe, we always said that um, we started to take that approach on some of our plans was to get people focusing on what they sh- they kind of needed a lot of and then almost not having room for the things that they, they were kind of wanting to give up, like kind of sugar, refined carbs yeah. and stuff. We were like, by the time you've got all the good stuff in, you know, you'll feel satiated, you'll feel fueled. Um, but I think with kids, it's just even more important that you don't, like we've just been saying, that the way that you convey the message it's, they're gonna kind of it's gonna stick with them and they're gonna kind of you know leave thinking a certain way about certain foods so it's even more important that it is like, like you've said more about adding things in mm. how do they get on with fermented foods because I know a lot of parents I've actually struggled to get a lot of adults to have fermented foods let alone kids so <laughs> uh, well, we call it keeper how do you say it uh, I say kefir kefir Sutherland <laughs> shut up Matt that's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> So kefir, the two out of four we drink. Um, I'll put it in kefir milk. I'll chuck in because I make my own ice cream, so I'll chuck stuff in there anyway, and they don't. They're none the wiser. Awesome. We've got sauerkraut. Always got sauerkraut in the in the fridge. Sometimes I put those on burgers. Sometimes they won't. What else? Lollipops. I'll make lollipops with kefir porter. Wow. And put um some of the vanilla essence in or fruits and things like that. So Amazing. yeah. They, they get their fill. I've not tried kimchi with them. I think they might quite like that, actually. We actually went to a, a, a stall in a farmer's market yesterday that had various different fermented vegetables, and they'd done fermented roots, and they had all these kind of different chili-based ferments. And I've never tried... Honestly, there was, there was some fennel that was so amazing, wasn't it, Matt? All different mm. kind of vegetables. They'd been really creative with the herbs and things. Yeah. And, I, and I said to Matt, you could give this to so many people and they would never know because they've yeah. been so amazing with the spices that the kind of sourness of the fermented foods is... is Friday, yeah, uh, one of the ones was like a chilli a chilli root veg one, wasn't it? Yeah, that was um, a bit hot for me. but Which was quite spicy, but, you know, <laughs> which I, bloody hell, I did I find that out yesterday. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I decided to, I said to Kerry, stupidly, there was like a whole chilli in there that was obviously part of this concoction. And I was like, dare me to eat this. <laughs> I was old, biggie, Billy Big Balls. <laughs> Just got the old chilli in my mouth. Didn't I? God knows what chilli it was, my good Lord. He started hiccuping straight away. He started hiccuping <laughs> immediately. My face went like a tomato. <laughs> and I was just started, I pretty much ate a whole block of cheese just to try and <laughs> cool my mouth down a little bit. Bit of red Leicester saved the day. But, um, but yeah, I had this, um, this one with uh, just like with some homemade burgers. And it was just brilliant. Just it was like a, you know, adding like a spicy and sweet, like relish in a way. But it wasn't obviously a relish. But you know, in terms of taste, the equivalent, it was lovely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, burger season when it's in the summer, barbecue type. I think you can get away with a lot more fermented foods actually just by banging them in 
with a burger, you know, putting them in a lettuce wrap, nobody knows any any different. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, no, no one's any the wiser, really. Or with sausages, like you know, like you know, like um, old Hermann's German. You know, they're hot, they're hot dogs. You know, and they have like the sauerkraut with the hot dogs, which we actually yeah. had on a Saturday night, didn't we? Went to a comedy night. No bun. We didn't have a bun. No bun, thank you. <laughs> Just extra sausage, please. And um, that came with sauerkraut, and that was lovely. Yeah, it was Meat nice. and sauerkraut, beautiful. I don't know. I don't think I could probably eat a bratwurst. I don't know. I'm guessing it's got wheat in it. Is it? No, no, they no, were all, they were, were they were all gluten free. Oh, oh, really? Not that it would have stopped Matt if they weren't gluten free. Yeah. <laughs> like it matters. He was having a sausage. <laughs> uh, Claire, the last thing I was going to ask about was with you having daughters who were kind of um, in their. One's in a teens now. Um, Two in the teens. They're both in the teens. Both. Yeah. Uh, are you kind of concerned for them in terms of things like um, body image and, and body confidence? Are they on? Because because do they have? I'm assuming they've got mobile phones and they go on Facebook and. Or are you kind of trying to limit that exposure to social media? They don't, they don't live in a cave. I know, but I don't know what age you get a mobile <laughs> phone now. Like, I got one about, when I was about, 19. About six. Yeah, 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 it does seem to be. <laughs> All mine have mobile phones when they start high school. That's that's the rule in our house. That's the only time they have mobile phones, not before. Right. But it is the bane of my life, Wi-Fi and phones, I must admit. And, yeah, for that reason, for body image. And, and you can see, as children sort of get older, that they start comparing themselves and, and judging themselves by how other people, what other people think of them. And it's, it breaks your heart to watch them. I've done some work with Sarah Doyle, you know, the uh, My Body Beautiful program. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, Sarah Doyle. Of course you know yeah, Sarah. Well, like that. <laughs> I'm doing that thing with my fingers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've done a My Body Beautiful plan with her and I did it alongside my girls. Oh, um, which was lovely, and she is going to do one for teens. But that it was, it was weird. It was a lovely thing to do, actually. You know, you do. I don't know if it's been explained before, but you do every day. She sends you an email, and it's different ways to look at your body. And it's quite, it was quite interesting doing it with the girls, actually. That although we, you know, we obviously I'm slightly older than them, and um, they all wanted, they all of us wanted the same thing. When you look at your body and what you want to be known for and things like that, that you have to look at yourself and you have to um, examine what's important to you. We all had the same type of things that we wanted to be known for and what what we wanted our bodies to be, um, not famous for, but recognised for. Yeah. But interestingly, came at it in different ways. So... I try in the evenings. I try and sort of sit down and chat with my girls as much as I can because I think it's too easy. But I, we don't have TV out all the time, so it's too easy to sort of be busy in your day, isn't it, and not sit down and, and talk with your children really. So as much yeah. as like I try and sit down and talk with them, and and also when they have like little arguments with their friends or they feel like they're being judged for different things, to so try and sort of unpick it all. Oh. But it is a bit of a minefield and. Fortunately, lots of their, um, not heroes, but like role models in the media with Instagram, a lot of them are CrossFit um, women. Oh, right. So they see women as being quite strong, although there's quite a lot of abs on show, isn't there, with CrossFit women? Yeah. Yes. It's a bit of a fine line, but they do see... Strength and... Women's bodies, yeah, yeah. as being strong bodies and being, you know, having an amazing function then, as opposed to just standing there with a pouty face. That's awesome. So I hope that continues. But I think it's, it's or oh, I'm just at the beginning of the Crest of the Way, to be honest, first of all, 13 and 14, I think I've got a long way 
to go with it. I think parents are always prepared for that one, to be honest. <laughs> but I think you're putting an amazing foundation in place and like they'll be watching you and everything that you're doing in terms of, um, you know, how you invest in your nutrition and how you keep active and manage stress. And I know I saw you posted up that you have little notes on the mirrors around the house with kind of positive um, affirmations on them, which I thought was so amazing, you know, for the kids to have that. Yeah, because you want, you want them to sort of see the good in everything they do, but not necessarily, but I'm actually saying that. My, my youngest, he's sort of, I think they're more aware now of comparing with others. Yeah. On both boys, and I, I don't know what's going to happen in the future with that, but I see a change certainly with boys. With boys, that's unusual. Yeah, yeah, because it's all um, people that they look up to are all, have all got their abs out, and it's all a case of sort of body beautiful for men. So I can see that there's going to be a similar thing coming through. <laughs> Once I think I've just got over it with the girls. Yeah, <laughs> the boys come along. Yeah, and the boys. Do you know, though, it's, it is so true in that they are saying, aren't they, you know, like that, you know, it's in men as well, you know, it's... Uh, it's hard because men are very quiet about it. They're just like very secretly looking, yeah. whereas women are very vocal about their quest for a certain... Uh, like body type or, or or look or whatever. Whereas we've just noticed on social media, men don't say a lot, but then you kind of have conversations and you're like, no, actually most men are looking for a six-pack. Mm. <laughs> no. but, but equally, it's funny, isn't it? Because, you know, if you think, when you think back to when you were a teenager and even now as a grown-up, you know, um, some would, it's debatable whether I'm grown up now, I don't know. <laughs> my birth certificate says so but uh <laughs> that's another matter but when you're a kid i think you know what you think the opposite sex finds attractive anyway like as a teenager you know like it's actually more often not wrong you know like girls girls think that guys like skinny girls but you know actually guys and boys don't they like a, a girl with like a or, a or a woman like with a with a feminine figure well, they like and, all different shapes and, and, sizes, and, and, and curves yeah, and, and things like that you know it's not 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 necessarily skinny or this like you know zero size models that, that, that there were and all that and same with women you know a lot of guys just think women want these big muscly guys but actually most women will turn, actually say they don't want a massive guy. They just want a guy that looks kind of athletic and they'd probably look for someone who's more confident over having a six-pack, for example. So yeah. often people chase things based on their perception of what they think other people find attractive. But but like I say, it's, it's not normally not the case. Having a sense of humour is one of the most attractive things about anybody. Yeah, yeah. Agree. Over, over good, a six-pack. Good, good, good sense yeah. of humour. But that, we've gone off track a little bit here. I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> like putting out a Guardian advert for Guardian Soulmates. <laughs> do you think I've got a good sense of humour, Kay? It'll do. It'll do. It'll do for now. <laughs> It'll do for now. <laughs> Until a better one comes along. So, Claire, in a nutshell, yeah. Um, what would you? What would your kind of like um, like free tips be for for someone with kids? You know, one kid, two kid, three kid, four, whatever. Um, you know, looking to make uh, some positive changes with their child's nutrition, what what would your advice be? Three practical tips. Three, okay. I'd say don't feel overwhelmed with it to start with. I think people people think it's going to take a lot of time, don't mm-hmm. they? We're, we're so um, conditioned to feel now that everything has to be quick. You know, people don't even boil rice for 15 minutes anymore, do they? They just have two minutes rice. Yeah. So I think for people to suddenly think that they're going to be cooking things from scratch, that it's going to take ages and that they haven't got the time for it but 
don't be overwhelmed by that because actually it doesn't take ages and you you soon find your shortcuts for doing it so have a go in respect of that practice makes perfect right say that again practice makes perfect yeah practice does make perfect and you know to be honest like i said i'm I'm not swinging from the chandeliers with all the meals that i serve up my kids essentially i'm still doing my you know everybody has their probably what four turnaround meals that they do every week pretty much the same or over a fortnight you've got your four tried and tested haven't you yeah yeah you've got You've got your one that you'll do on a weekend when you've got a bit more time or if you've gone shopping and bought something nice. You've got your one that you'll do for best if somebody's coming round. So pretty much I'm still probably following that same formula, to be honest, but I'm just doing fit of food meals. So it's not it's not a great shake. You know, nothing's changed dramatically. It's just the ingredients have changed, really. So if you're managing your, you know, your good tried and tested, all you're doing is tweaking it to make it a fit of food version. Yeah. So that'll be my one... My first one, not to be overwhelmed. Um, secondly, I would say, don't underestimate your children, really. That they can try different things and it's not it's not going to kill them. Again, you know, you sort of think, nowadays, everybody, I don't know what it is. Part of this over, feeling overwhelmed, maybe that's partly the reason. But I think people don't want to ruffle children's feathers. But everything is sort of, I don't know, chocolate-coated, isn't it? But yeah. We feel as if we've got to give children... The, the most palatable and easy food ever, whereas actually they're not really asking for that, I don't think. What do you think? No, and do you know what? When I was a kid, I do remember mum trying to give us things like herring and um, oily fish. I vividly remember this, and it was basically, that's did you, dinner. Did you call childline? <laughs> I felt like it. <laughs> the only way I could drink herring was by actually knocking it back with orange juice at the same time. So I didn't taste it. I just swallowed the herring in lumps. And <laughs> it was, and then it repeated on me, like orangey oh. herring burps. But mum said, this is dinner, so there is no dessert, like it, lump it, whatever, and we had to eat it. But most of our meals were nice, but we kind of had that respect of whatever was put on the table was dinner. You would eat, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and we were limited in snacks and stuff. They just weren't available. My older brother used to steal them. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what's funny, though? Like, as a kid, I don't ever remember kicking up a fuss about food. Like you, like, I, 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 I've, I've just been, I suppose, you know, I'm a parent's dream in that I like everything. You know, as a but, kid, the only thing I never used to like was olives, and now I love olives. But, you know, other than that, whatever was put in front of me, whether it was shepherd's pie, a curry, uh, liver and uh, potato, whatever. I, I just ate it. I didn't think yeah. anything of it. And I don't ever remember going, oh, I don't want this. Oh, I don't like them. Well, but, no, I think, it, and like your, um, I suppose like your upbringing mine and, and what Claire's doing is from a young age, you've kind of have, have adapted palates as well. Hmm. I think it might be harder for somebody now who, as Claire has said, has always kind of tried to um, serve food that they know their kids love. And it might have, without even realising it, kind of led them towards a sweeter palate with mm. even things like baked beans and ketchup and they've got so much sugar added that yeah. now it's going to be hard for them to backtrack. But I suppose, as Claire's saying, get the kids involved. Yeah, bit you know, by bit, step yeah. change. I mean, because that's, that, that's probably one of the, like you mentioned earlier, Claire, like doing it step by step rather than just all of a sudden going, right, kids, you can never have this again. This is what we're eating from now on. Yeah. 
yeah, definitely. You know, you can just do it bit by bit. And I think you get you get more confident, really, as your children taste different things. And, you know, they, they don't starve, do they? Let's face it, just wherever you're serving them, it's all part of the whole meal's worth, you know, whole day's worth of meals. So, they, and that would be my third thing, really, to say that actually just persevere because you're, ultimately, you're giving them life skills, aren't you? That you're showing them different tastes, you're giving them different textures, and you're hopefully equipping them to be able to make good decisions when they independently choose what they're going to eat for themselves and, you know, ultimately when they leave, that they can actually go to college and cook up a good meal or, you know, choose when they when they go into school and they've you've got you've given them the money to choose their own lunch, that they will make good choices that are going to keep them healthy because otherwise, what's you know, that's your job really, isn't it? To, to well, yeah. equip them with that. You wouldn't send your children on a swimming lesson and go, oh, they don't like that, they don't like the water, I'm not going to do it anymore. It's the same with their food, you know, but for some reason, I, don't, I still can't quite work it out. A lot of people just give up on it, really, which is yeah. such a shit. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough one, though, isn't it? You know, because, I mean, let's be honest, like some kids can be a right pain in the ass, like when it comes to food. And I do genuinely feel for parents whose kids are, you know, throwing a tantrum because I don't want to eat their broccoli or whatever it may be. And, you know, and, and I, I really do feel for them because it can't be easy at all. But, but like, like you say, like as with all things, you know, as all things worth doing, you know, it requires a bit of work and a bit of perseverance. And, and no doubt, it, you know, I'm sure you, you'll agree that it takes a bit of time to kind of work out what what the different foods the kids like, you know, the ones that they can agree on that you could just do as a big family and know that everybody's going to enjoy the meals. And And I know that when we had you on the podcast before, Claire, and you spoke about that amazing idea of, you know, drawing up that massive chart, didn't you, with the, the week's meals on there and all the kids kind of like either put a tick or a cross in the box, whether they liked it or not. And then you then knew whether you would cook that again. Or, or, or just kind of like can it because not many people liked it. And I thought, again, a great way of just getting people involved, making it a little bit more interactive rather than it just being, oh, I don't like that, you know, yeah. drawing it up on a board and it's there for everybody to see. Yeah, and, we, you know, we've done the same thing, but that filtered down into our breakfast. So for breakfast night, they came up then, when we tried all different things for breakfast, they'd come up with like a list of the, the five things that we could have to make it varied through the week. And we used to have that up on the fridge. So it'd be like pancakes one day and bacon another day, porridge, you know, just so that we made sure we had different things. And then you have less complaints then. Somebody knows that, okay, they might not be having what they what they really like the one day. They can see that there's going to be something in a couple of days' time, which is their favourite. So it makes it feel fair. Yeah. Um, we don't do it now because we just sort of tend to go with the flow with what we're having and what we've got in, in the fridge. Oh, I like that. Um, but lunches, again, you know, we, we tried and tested the lunches. I think if you can get them on board to actually feel as if they've got a little bit of a say in it, yeah, you know, sometimes you have to be a little bit cunning, don't you, and, and sort of manufacture it a bit towards your benefit. But as long as they feel as if they're having some input into it, I think you've got less of a battle on your hands, really, yeah. to try and introduce new things. Yeah, I like that. And the last thing I say is it's kind of a win-win for everyone because... If you think of, if you're giving kids nutritious food, there's going to be less blood sugar crashes, which means less tantrums and moods and, and kind of <laughs> outbursts. So that's going to mean happier parents. So it's just going to be a happier yeah. household all round. <laughs> well, do you know, saying that actually, when I was a kid, my nan, I can't remember how old I would have been, but when I was, you know, and I felt wobbly, 
And she would say it's it's whenever he has chocolate, whenever he's had like a chocolate bar or two, he has these like wobblies. And I was like a bit like, don't be stupid, you know, but of course it's not that. But even then I as a kid did start to notice it though. And I'm sure it was probably not necessarily just chocolate, but anything high in sugar. And it was always kind of like like early evening, you know, kind of like in between like lunch and dinner, maybe where I probably would have been snacking on some sweets or some chocolate in the school holidays. And no doubt had a crash and found myself just being like an irritable brat. little brat, you know, mm-hmm. and like throw a tantrum over the stupidest little thing. And even I did notice it. I was a bit like, oh, yeah, I did have a chocolate bar. You know, maybe yeah. my nan's right. And I remember consciously eating less of them for that reason because I didn't like throwing tantrums and being horrible to, to my mum or my nan and granddad. And it, but I think when you can start to identify yourself, like your kids have as well, like with their CrossFit and everything as well, but I do, I think that's really powerful, you know. My um, eldest son, he has, he was in his last year of primary school this year, and they have SATs tests, you know, when they do that week of testing? Oh, yeah. And the school has breakfast, a SATs breakfast, where you can go in early before school starts, and they usually lay on, like, croissants and cereal and all the rest of it. And sometimes he'll go to the school breakfast club and they serve, they don't serve croissants, but they do serve cereals that I wouldn't normally give them. And then he goes to school for the rest of the day. But I said to him, so look, it's your choice, but you know what you're like having sugary cereals and croissants. And then you're going to have to go into a situation where they're going to make you sit on a desk quietly for an hour doing a test. So I said, personally, I don't think it's such a good idea. What do you think? And he said, no, I don't think I'm going to go to the, the breakfast club. I'll just go early and then just go in to do the SATs tests. Aww. He chose that himself. And the teacher said to me, he said, oh, Claire, you know that, you know, he's come into school, but he's not done the breakfast. And I said, yeah, and, you know, he knows what he's like. And I said, well, I thought it would probably be of your best interest and Oshun School the same, that actually he misses the breakfast and just does the test. And he was like... <laughs> Yeah, I think I probably agree with you. Oh, <laughs> really? You know, That's interesting. You know, the effect of what different food has on him. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh, for, like him, for recognising it himself, you know? That's awesome. It's a fair foodie it. in the making. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Claire, well, listen, it's been amazing chatting to you. And as well, you know, we could we could chat all day, couldn't we, really? But, um, but yeah, let's... Let's wrap it up there. We've had a good old hour chat and you're, you're doing an amazing job, Claire, honestly. I, I still don't know how you do it. Four kids, working, training, fitting it all in. You, you're, you're amazing. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, Claire, thank you. You are in Ibiza right now, yet you chose to spend an hour with us Bless in your hotel you. room. You are, again, <laughs> amazing. You know, phenomenal for doing that. I hope, I hope, I hope you, uh, you don't hate us for it. You watch the sun will be shining as soon as you get outside, it'll start raining. You'll be like, bugger. <laughs> I missed that last bit of sun. But, but guys, thank you so much for listening. I um, hope you enjoyed the episode. Any questions about um, you know anything we've spoken about today, get in touch and you know we can no doubt forward some inquiries on to Claire because I'm sure she'll be more than happy to help. Um, enjoy the episodes. Go back, have a listen to a previous episode with Claire. Can't remember which one it was, but it was awesome. And we will see you in episode number 75. See you later. Bye. Bye.